Welcome to the 315th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. Well, I made it from Port Charlotte, Florida to Houston, and then 21 hours later in a car with Addie Delaney Minor, it's the dietitian, and... My grandson, Caleb, and my grand dog, Haas, 21 hours later, we arrived back in Florida. So welcome, Eddie. Hello, everyone from sunny Florida. That's not too sunny today, but well, it'll be there. It counts. So we traveled. Everybody wants to know what we ate when we traveled. And um, first day, we thought we had it going pretty good, you know. We had a nice picnic lunch, spread our towel out, and uh, so we're traveling with the 14 month old. Mm-hmm. So, what'd you cook him? Uh, he loves, loves, loves tofu and it's quite portable. So, I baked his uh, typical tofu we do at home, um, a big batch of that. Kept it in a cooler on ice with some sauteed um, veggies. I think we did broccoli, is what uh, we're still gumming it a little bit. So, our veggie selection's a little limited, but broccoli works well. <laughs> And um, lots of fruit. We love fruit. Um, we did some Ezekiel bread with us, um, a tub of almond butter for him, or some avocado for healthy fats for his meals, and um, some of our, you know, kid-friendly cereal puffs and things like that, teether type of cereals um, for, for snacks and a few organic fruit and vegetable bean pouches. So we had, a, we had a good spread there for, for all of us. And then we packed, uh, made us a big pasta salad from the cookbook with loaded down on veggies and some chickpeas and peas and some pasta. And we had a ton of fruit and then uh, a lot of finger food friendly cut up bell peppers, carrots, and cucumbers. So we, we had a nice spread for a, a picnic stop and then just kind of munching along the way. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's what it takes. You know, in the past, I, I've talked on the podcast before that, you know, the two of us get together and it uh, has been, you know, what kind of snacks and bad things can we get into when we're traveling? And I think that happens a lot. You know, you go in to get gas and you start looking around or you're stopping at rest stops or looking, you know, what's just right there off the exit and you can get into a lot of trouble with food and you're sitting around, you're not moving. So the, the big bag of vegetables was hydrating, you know, and uh, good, to, good to munch on. And, um, you know, that really, really was quite satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then when we stopped and had the pasta salad, and, and it was just nice. It's not too heavy, um, and, and, it, and it, worked out, it worked out really good. Um, day two, we did find a Mexican restaurant using the Google restaurants along the way, and I called and asked them. Now... You know, um, a lot of times you can get in a little trouble with Mexican restaurants. Sometimes they do refried beans instead of regular beans, or they may have oil in something, um, or they may not have a vegan or vegetarian option. And that was the case with the first, well, with the restaurant we ended up actually getting food. I asked the, who was, she was probably the hostess. And, you know, just looking at the menu, they didn't have much in the way of vegan options. But when I asked, I was like, hey, I see you have, you know, peppers and onions here. Can you possibly, you know, do us a burrito with extra vegetables and not do cheese, not do sour cream? And you know, scratched her head a little bit. And I think, you know, she waited and she went and talked to the manager. And, of course, when we got there and spoke with the, with the owner of the restaurant, he was, you know, more than capable of making us 
uh, a burrito with just vegetables so and fresh uh, pico and uh, it was real good we got a little bit more avocado for Caleb to uh, have some more toast with and that worked out good and and so you know you just uh, we like the happy cow app uh, as well mm-hmm. sometimes but um, you know I think if you can have good snacks and a lot of fruit with you it certainly makes makes for a, a much more enjoyable trip we had the watermelon in the cooler stayed nice pineapple stayed pretty good strawberries stay good uh blueberries stay good bananas do not travel well um you know but and you know the other option is to always um you know on google google maps is so good about finding a walmart or finding a whole food so you can stop and and uh you know load up on more fruit uh along the way so it depends on your route too i mean some routes will have even more options than that right and you know we were on interstate 10 and the it's options, yeah, it's pretty desolate. You know, we're talking loves, truck stop food, and just just really, really, really nasty, nasty fast yeah. food restaurants along the way. So not, not much in the way of options there. You know, down here in Florida, there's a gas station called Wawa that has a lot of different fruit options and, and veggie options. And so, you know, it, it just, depends on, just depends on what part of the country you're in as far as what you're going to find. But if you... Have your own fruit packed. You know, apples travel, and of course, apple. You know, and staying away from like the prepared stuff because teaser of something we're going to get into here today is sodium. Um, and if you are getting into more of the pre-made stuff, whether it's you know even at a grocery store really, um, or at a gas station or rest area or restaurant, you're going to get into a little bit more sodium. And when you're sitting in the car, if you are traveling by car, uh, your circulation is already not the greatest. And, um, you know, sodium, we can get some water retention on board, inflammation, also spike some cravings. So, you know, as much as we can stay out of the excess sodium, the better. And that the high fiber choice of the raw veggies was really awesome the first day. Because like you said, it was filling. You're not burning an excess, uh, you know, a large amount of calories. You're sitting there driving. But sometimes to be able to munch on something during a boring drive like that it isn't a bad thing. And so if you have a low-calorie, high-fiber option, um, that does the trick. Yeah, yeah. And it was my birthday weekend. It was. Yes. Last, last year in my 50s. So you made me a great pasta dinner, a pesto pasta. Yes, it is uh, Caleb's, one of Caleb's favorites. It is a pesto pasta white bean base. Uh, It was wonderful because mom here, the doc, has a great garden and a great herb selection of our own. So I was able to pick all the basil and oregano that I needed for the dish. Um, So, you know, several, six, at least big handfuls of spinach. Um, you know, white great northern beans, uh, the herbs, and then um, some cashews. Now, you can leave those out if you wish. And then uh, lots of garlic. I like the fresh garlic in this. Um, it gives it a little extra bite because you're not cooking any of this, so you are putting it all in the blender. Um, and nutritional yeast. Um, if you want to do some black pepper or onion powder or things like that, you can. Um, but as long and then a hit of all spice. All of that in your blender with some lemon juice, a little bit of water, and you can do a little soy, plain soy milk or plain almond milk if you wanted. Um, blend that up into a nice uh, sauce type uh, you know, consistency. You can do it in a food processor. It may not get as smooth as a high-speed blender, so that's what we did. 
and put it over some sautéed mushrooms and pasta, and it is delicious. It was so, delicious. So uh, made a lot of it. Got some funny faces of Mr. Caleb and hulking out in this green pasta sauce all over his, himself, um, but it was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had that, and then a homemade chocolate cake. Yes, very, very good. So... Um, and you know, you don't have to, people talk about cakes, but you don't have to use oil like they had, you know, doing the grocery stores and things like that. And you used, um, I believe we had some chocolate hazelnut powder, uh, or chocolate almond powder, something like that, that you used. And so it was, it was really, really good. Yeah. So before we get, um, into our main topic of, nutrition and um, especially in kids since you're here and we've been watching Caleb eat a ton of food (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about um, cognitive decline last week I had Jill Bolte Taylor on um, and we talked about brain function and the different characters of our brain and this week uh, the diva had some dental surgery done and to share a little bit of the diva's history, you know, she has uh, atrial fibrillation and she takes a blood thinner. So when people are on blood thinners, often they have to hold their blood thinner for different surgical procedures. Luckily, she didn't have to have any MAC. She didn't have to have any anesthesia. But when we often don't think about in older individuals, and this is greater than 65, we're talking, when people undergo... Certainly general anesthesia, but even conscious sedation, MAC anesthesia, uh, Diprovan, Propofol type anesthesia, it's very worrisome um, that they may suffer worsening memory, worsening dementia, worsening memory, worsening cognitive function, um, which can even include... Um, hallucinations or again rapid deterioration into into Alzheimer's and you know my father actually had experienced that but we don't often think about you know those those uh, type of side effects from surgery often think about what you're going to have the surgery for and don't think about the other consequences in my mom's case the big worry was coming off the blood thinner and the risk of stroke or an, an embolic event or a blood clot um, and but there was a study done uh, and published recently in the Journal of American Medical Association um, this month out of the University of California, and I was happy to see that somebody finally looked at this and looked at post-operative neurocognitive de- uh, decline and you know the development of delirium or confusion or uh, again different difficulty and decreased level of of functioning. And it's not secondary to the possible, you know, inflammation of the brain associated with either the anesthetic or change in oxygenation, uh, vascular injury, again, lack of blood flow. When you're not breathing, and we've talked about this in the past, taking a good diaphragmatic breaths, re- um, carbon dioxide, there, there needs to be a balance of carbon dioxide and oxygen in your blood. And if you're underventilating or overventilating, it can impair delivery of oxygen to your tissues, but specifically your brain. And then if you have underlying uh, dementia or a bit of decline, it can make that much worse. And they looked at um, 1,114 patients over the age of 65 and found out that you know, 7%, uh, 7% risk of a stroke with non-cardiac surgery, um, also associated with a delirium. Some, some could be uh, 
long term or, or of significant length of time. Um, up to you know, sixty-five uh, percent of the people had at least ten percent some uh, long-term decline in cognitive function. Uh, complicating features, you know, the longer that someone has to stay in the hospital, especially in these days with COVID and decreased family members, they're left in a room. Often they're awakened during the night or the surgery may occur at different parts of the day or they may have pain and pain medications. And so their days and nights gets mixed up. So the longer the hospital stay, the worse. If you have to have medical mechanical ventilation, certainly makes things worse. The longer, if somebody can't get uh, immediately weaned after surgery, that makes it worse. Um, and you know, it, it's associated with a, a decrease in, in longevity and quality of life, and you know, and then and then the ability to function at home alone. Um, some of the other things that need to be taken into consideration in people is, you know, what medications are you on before surgery? Uh, people that take sleeping medications, people that take uh, anticholinergic medications for Parkinson's or bladder dysfunction medications, uh, those can interfere with anesthetics a lot and cause problems. Uh, certainly anti any antidepressants or opioids that are, done, that are given pre-op, uh, and then after it makes, makes all that worse. So, you know, if you have to have a surgery and it's emergent, it's one thing as you get older. But, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, you want to avoid any kind of elective surgery, if at all possible. If, if you have someone that's older that's having surgery and they have hearing aids, it's very important to make sure that, you know, they have their hearing aids with them, their glasses, because visual aids, if they're, you know, in a strange environment at night, a nightlight, uh, were they able to exercise up until that procedure, getting them up and moving them after the procedure? Anybody that had depression before a surgery, things can certainly get a lot worse. Blood pressure, uh, you know, is something that needs to be taken into control. You know, the glucose, do people drink alcohol? You know, we have older people that drink several stiff drinks at night, and then all of a sudden they go to the hospital to have a procedure, and they're not having that drink, and they can, and they can actually have withdrawal symptoms. Uh, and then on top of pain medication, it can make things uh, a whole lot worse. And then nutrition, uh, anti-inflammatory medication or anti-inflammatory foods. You know, if somebody comes out of surgery, it drives me absolutely insane. Uh, you know, I had a patient that was in, uh, in the hospital recently and they, they brought in bacon the next day. He's a diabetic, you know, um, and he's, you know, obviously plant-based and eggs. And, you know, it's thought that, you know, that's what people need are these comfort foods, which actually makes things, things worse. And then obviously, you know, not having the support of family. So if you, you know, you or a loved one's going to be in the hospital, you, you really do need to, um, you have to have an advocate, uh, if you're going to have a procedure done um, or you're going to be in the hospital for any length of time, you really need to call the Cal call on the Calvary, I tell people. You know, call, this is the time. You, this is not the time to wait for family to come in or it's not the time for you to stay home and, and see if your parents are going to be okay. Uh, it's the time to actually be there to be a spokesperson from the for the person that's having the procedure that may not be able to have, uh, you know, to be able to make decisions and uh, beat, you know, the stress and take some of the stress off.
And I will say from personal experience, having been hospitalized during COVID for the birth of Caleb, that having a good advocate is extremely important. Um, and knowing what you're getting into, the, the days at the hospital now are unfortunately not as they used to be and not that they were even the greatest right before COVID, um, not to bash hospitals or anything, but uh, you, you need that advocate there and you also need to know what you're getting into. So if you can avoid it, if it's not necessarily like she said, let's let's not go there. And, and if you do, you want to make yeah. sure that you're as in good possible physical shape as you can be before you go in there by optimizing your nutrition and then optimizing your nutrition afterwards. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talk about with a few of our patients, you know, especially orthopedic type of surgeries um, that I work with, especially with, we have a few diabetics um, and it's, you know, we refer to their surgery date as game day. And I work with them on how we can really get their nutrition, especially diabetics, your blood sugar, get the movement in that we can, um, get your blood sugar under control, as get that BMI as close to normalized as possible prior to surgery. I mean, really do truly treat it like a game day that you are training for because the better you go into it, the better you will be able to recover after. And, you know, we um, sometimes take certain medications for granted. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot more in the news and there's some lawsuits about opioid use. And we don't think that there's any other option. And there, there are plenty other options for pain management than opioids. And in an older person, I can't stress how bad that can, that can be. And in any person, because they are so addictive and they can cause so much mental confusion. The other thing is sleeping pills. You know, we want to get people to get a good night's sleep, and people are worried about not getting a good night's sleep. But sleeping pills are not the means to a good night's sleep. And they're, you know, the benzodiazepams, the Xanaxes, the Ativans, the Valiums are very addictive, and they are associated with a, you know, um, terrible withdrawal symptoms, but also a de decrease in cognitive abilities such as visual spatial ability and speed of processing and verbal learning. And, and uh, so again, you add those sleeping pills onto a surgery and somebody in the hospital alone, you can really get into some some bad troubles as far as them being able to communicate. I had a friend that her mom was in the hospital and she was a former superintendent of school. She was, you know, she traveled, she was very well spoken, but with the, with this major surgery that she had in some of the medication, she wasn't able to communicate and they thought, you know, her level of functioning was poor and, you know, she, the, she was treated as such and, and, you know, all kinds of bad things can start to happen. And, uh, you know, the medication interactions, it's, it's really important um, to know what medications you're on and what side effects they have and what potential medicines that you're going to be given in the hospital. And again, um, I, I want to say have an advocate. Uh, it's very, very, very important. And don't jump right into, you know, um, oh, I'm bone on bone or I've got a disc and I need surgery or I need something done. You know, again, there are a lot of alternatives that can be done um, to avoid a lot of unnecessary surgeries, you know, meniscus surgery, there is absolutely no decrease in the um, um, need for knee replacement later on. There's no improvement in functioning long term. You know, we, we want quick fixes when something breaks or something is painful, but you have to really take a step back and say, okay, this, this recovery process may take a while. 
Um, but you can come out on the other side better. Um, what happened to cause the, the acute deterioration? You know, I've talked before last year, I threw my back out and it took a couple months to get things back. Um, but, but I gained a big insight as far as how to, each time I throw my back out, how to, how to kind of keep myself in a little bit better shape or what to do to troubleshoot. So that's, um, that's kind of where, you know, we'll leave that at, at, at this time. The diva is doing well, by the way. And, uh, but it just, you know, we've, again, with COVID, we've had several people that have done some elective or had to go in and the care there's, you know, people are afraid and you can't have an advocate and it's just not, a, not a good thing. So Addie and I were grocery shopping. And since, you know, poor little Caleb's a plant-based little baby and, you know, he's you know, hardly surviving being a plant-based baby, you know, everybody's afraid. Where is he going to get his protein and where is he going to get his calcium and where is he going to get his brain function and his cholesterol and all this kind of stuff? We decided, you know, I was like, what is in baby food? You know, how many calories do babies actually, what do other babies eat? How do you figure out how much to eat? Because I'm looking at this kid, you know, it's the first time that, you know, well, he, he changes so quickly, but my goodness, he's eating a giant plate of fruit, of, of food. He's got a plate of fruit, and I mean a plate of fruit, and then he's got his uh, whole pancake that's a multi-grain pancake with, with uh, you know, some some uh, nut butter on top, or he's got his... Uh, uh, big bowl of oatmeal that has quinoa and chia seeds in it. I mean, a big bowl, and then it has fruit in it. And uh, it's like, so what do other kids eat? So we started looking at baby food because, you know, when, unfortunately, sorry, Eddie, but when you were growing up, it would, you know, do something orange, do something green, do something brown, and you ate a jar, and when, you know, a little bit of out of each jar, and when you quit eating, that was it. But nobody thought about calories or anything else, any other nutrients in Right, and, and there's not a whole lot of direction. I have been thoroughly disappointed with any kind of nutritional questioning or guidance from our pediatrician. And I mean, thankfully, as a dietitian, I, I, I nerded out when I knew I was pregnant and then when Caleb got close to start eating food. And there are some really good online resources. Um, if you are pregnant or trying to raise a plant-based baby, um, I highly, highly recommend two RDs on Instagram, Plant-Based Juniors. Um, they have a new cookbook out as well as some really good, easy um, eBooks and resources, um, as well as some pretty pictures on Instagram. We can put a link to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, that can really help you, give you a visual aid to this. But um, the, the biggest thing uh, when our pediatrician found out that, you know, I had mentioned, they asked uh, if he was still breastfeeding, and I said yes, and we're doing some soy milk too. Um, we're personally trying to get to the 18-month mark with nursing, but we are doing a little bit of soy milk here and there. Um, he's like, oh, soy? Uh, that's been shown to decrease nutrient absorption and, uh, you know, really need the dairy for the calcium. And I was like, you know, we've done, there's been no other indication that he is not on par with growth or uh, height or weight, um, developmental milestones. We're all, we're checking all the boxes. He's a super happy kid. He's a great sleeper. Um, you know, we, we have some Irish, Italian, Croatian fits from now and then, but other than that, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like, really the, the biggest thing that set him off was the fact that I said, we're plant-based and, and I quickly responded in a 
tone that my mother, I could hear her using, um, that I was a clinical registered dietitian who focuses on plant-based nutrition for lifestyle disease reversal and prevention, and I've got it covered, and that quickly ended that conversation. Uh, But it was just daunting to me, so I started to look too. It's like, okay, so all these kids who come in, are they questioned? Um, it just if you're on dairy, cow's milk, it's just fine and dandy. What is in their food? Is anyone questioned on how they plate their food? And for the most part, the answer was no. And, and I talked to you know a few other moms, and it's like no one, no one's really asked about it. And I, I do fortunately have some other moms who are more focused on um, their kids' health and have paid attention to it, so that are a little older than me for some guidance on that, but. Um, it's not questioned. So when we were in the grocery store, we wanted to see what's out there. And it was very um, upsetting, especially if you wanted to be a plant-based um, mom raising a kid, if you were just starting with pre-made baby food. There was like no beans to be found in any of the pre-made baby foods. No, no beans and really limited vegetables. Limited you know, vegetables. Spinach, butternut squash. There were peas, which was the closest peas. thing to beans. Yeah. Um, um, Carrots, that's it. I mean, very, very limited. And then, you know, mashed chicken or mashed beef or mashed turkey. turkey. And, you know, we saw, well, how much protein do these kids, you know, how, what, what are they actually getting in this stuff? And, of course, if you look at cereals um, and, you know, is there, is there glyphosate? Are there, are there soybean oil and things? Um, you know, a lot of the cereals are full of sugar as well as sodium. So you, we, we started looking at uh, different things, and so the biggest thing, if you know, if you look on, because now we're in the age of knowledge. So I am not parent bashing whatsoever, but if we are going to pay as much attention to what sports team our kid plays on, what school they go to, what YouTube videos they watch then we should pay equal, if not more, attention to the nutrition that we're pouring into them because they're not indestructible. You know, we we, we are very concerned with their mental health these days, but really we push aside the physical and throw pre-made foods at parents through marketing, whether it's fast food or what you see in the grocery store, unfortunately. And you assume, you know, as any you know parent would, who would put something dangerous, who would put something detrimental in food, especially food targeted at kids. So there was a study done looking at uh, kids aged 2 to 19, 33,795 kids, and they found that, you know, just even on, it was a 24-hour dietary history, which aren't great. They're usually underestimate than overestimate. But it found that two-thirds of the calories came from ultra-processed foods. And only 28% came from minimally processed foods. Um, you know, so, and, and when we say ultra-processed, again, we're talking about soybean oil, palm oil, excess sugar, simple sugars, excess sodium, um, you know, all kinds preservatives. of preservatives and flower conditioners and all kinds of allergens that these kids are getting at a very young age. And if you see soybean oil in something, it is genetically modified soybeans. So we're talking glyphosate and, gl- and gut microbe um, dysfunction uh, and a whole other thing. So when, you know, when, 
You know, and I have people that, you know, again, I'm a grandparent, and it, it is kind of funny. We kind of giggle. Caleb, Caleb gets a little, we were traveling, and, and he got a little fussy, and we're like, is he hungry? You know, do we need to give him something? And, and of course, Addie was very particular about what kind of foods we had with us. But, you know, it's easy to want to make your child or your grandchild happy, and a happy meal is not the way to do that. So we started looking, what's in some of these things? Right. And so, again, you think, huh, sodium. You know, that's that's an adult issue. That's what we see people for, sodium. How bad can the kids' foods be? However, um, the CDC, who we all know, love, and trust these days, um, they also looked at a reported study. And so, there's a variety of different levels of sodium that is allowed uh, or recommended for various ages. So as adults, we know it's 2,300. Um, we know that it should be well under that, more like 1,500, but that's the RDA. Um, it's the same for 14 to 18-year-olds, but it decreases um, as ages decrease. So uh, ages 1 to 3, they should be getting less than 1,500. Um, uh, ages 4 to 8, less than 1,900. Um, ages 9 to 13, less than 2,200. However, they looked at U.S. children ages 6 to 18 years eat an average of about 3,300 milligrams. milligrams of sodium a day before salt is added at the table. So that is in these ultra-processed, but also regularly processed, also fast food, also restaurant foods that the majority of people are eating out. So that is before anyone at your house pulls out the good old-fashioned salt shaker and, and gives you a couple shakes. So that is very hard on their kidneys. It's creating horrible taste buds and cravings later in life for now what I see for my 50s and olders um, in terms of trying to get them off the salt shaker and causes extreme um, inflammation. And we also know that excess sodium intake later on in life it puts people at risk for osteoporosis. It's also associated with increased inflammatory disease exacerbations. We know that multiple sclerosis episodes is um, increased with, with excess sodium, but hypertension in kids um, is now recommended that you know kids are having their blood pressure checked and, and even starting blood pressure medications at, at, at an early age. And so, I mean, that doesn't need to happen. That just is a matter of looking at, at the diet. And, and again, just because a child can survive on these, on these foods doesn't mean that they can thrive on these foods. And so they also looked at, at fast food kids' meals. So not the adult-sized portions, but the kids' meals can easily exceed 1,500 milligrams in one meal. We looked at the beloved Chick-fil-A menu. And in a breakfast selection for kids, again, kid-sized portion, easily had 1,000 milligrams of sodium in it. Um, Lunchables that came out big time when I was little, I looked at those, and the nutritional highlights were that they didn't have um, the sugar comparative to other snacks and things like that. But no one's talking about the hydrogenated oils. No one's talking about the ultra process preservatives, and then the extreme sodium, well over 600 milligrams in these mm -hmm. lunchtime options. And then, you know, don't even get me started on McDonald's, which is nothing real to any of that food. 
In a 2.5 ounce serving, which is a single serving of the Kraft mac and cheese, uh, there's 560 milligrams, including, you know, other things like whey protein and milk fat and, and protein isolates. And so, again, everybody has these stars on the front of the boxes or on the menu items that they're meeting kids' calcium levels. Hoorah! We we're, we're creating heart disease and inflammation and kidney health function decline with the amount of sodium that we're putting on these kids, in addition to altering their taste buds. Picky eaters come from the foods we're exposed to, and it's not easy. You know, I, I don't mean to paint a pretty picture. We had a struggle tonight with Caleb. Is he particularly picky? No, but we're, we're, we're exposing him to different foods. Sometimes we hit it out of the park, and sometimes we throw it on the floor. Um, and that's kind of where we're at, and I have to check myself not to get frustrated, but, you know, exposing them to natural foods without adding the sodium helps create good gut microbiome, but also good taste bud practice to help them explore different flavors without it being hidden by sodium. Because later on, when they go to their dietitian, hopefully not for their chronic lifestyle disease, and she tells them that they need to get off the salt shaker and they can't do it very easily, it's because of the foundation we're laying for them. So it's again, it's not to beat up parents out there, but if we know better and we do live in the age of information, we should try to do better. Right. So SpaghettiOs, mac and cheese, all those Lunchables, all those things, you know, not only high fat, high um, nitrites from the meats, but also high salt. You have to think cheese is one of the highest sodium foods that, um, you know, people can and get into. You order pizza from Domino's and you get into high sodium. Caleb happens to like uh, pizza, but it's the pizza that we make. So, you know, it's a, it's a veggie pizza. So, you know, again, just, just think about it. Kids are starting back to school and what are they going to eat and what are they going to be exposed to? And, you know, it is difficult when they go to parties or they go to other kids' houses, you know, it's one thing, but if you can set the foundation at home and educate them at home on good food and sit down at dinner with them and, um, you know, have a good meal. At least it's it's a good uh, a good foundation. And I mean, again, uh, we, as I think every town in America, have a traffic jam around the Chick Fil A parking lot, and they are seen kind of as a healthier option. I think, uh, but when you look at some of these menu items. Um, you know, we're looking at the Nuggets Kids Meal. 760 milligrams of sodium in just the nuggets, not their waffle fries, friends. Not the sugar, like the ketchup and all that kind of not stuff, the barbecue sugar. sauce and all that kind of stuff. 50 grams of cholesterol, the, the, the chicken strips, 580. I mean, there's nothing that wouldn't just totally annihilate their sodium intake for the day in a very small serving. And it is very similar to adult food selections out there that it's so calorically dense that we also lose track of their needs for the day and they lose track of their fullness cues and their needs because their food is so low fiber but high caloric density 
that we just kind of throw off all metabolic and fullness cue function that we have um, at an early age. And, and we don't realize we're doing it because, you know, most of us out there, we're doing it to ourselves too, but we know better now. Hold these places more accountable. You get to vote with your dollar. It does take extra prep. Um, I, I spend much more time cooking than I, than I know a lot of other families do. And it may be seen as weird, but in a way, it's my service right now. It's, it's the season of life that I'm in to set up my family for success, um, to take a little time and prep a little bit more. It doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, but you know, when you are in control of what you can make, and it can be repetitive. It can be the same week to week because that's what they're getting at lunches at schools. It's a four-week rotation. Um, if you plan and make the meals simple for you, you can set your kids up for success. Again, not just with their mental health, not just with you know social interactions, but also with their health and their nutrition because we know that what they're doing now is directly correlated to their life and their health as an adult. A lot of people also will get confused that they think that regular fruits and vegetables don't have these ingredients, and so you need to add salt to them or you need to worry about potassium. But, you know, just pulling up and looking at regular vegetables, um, you know, most vegetables carry somewhere, even a bell pepper, 40 milligrams of sodium, 220 milligrams of potassium. Um, even a bell pepper has, well, it has a lot of vitamin C, but anyway, it has 4% of the uh, RDA for um, iron. So when we eat plant-based, we're not getting all of our nutrients from one source. If you think the traditional plate with a meat and a vegetable and a potato or a grain, and people think, well, they're getting all their nutrients from, you know, a, in, in predominantly one item or two or three items. When people eat plant-based, they eat a little bit of a lot of different things. And so it all adds up throughout the day. But, you know, all vegetables have sodium in it as well as potassium. So you're getting all that you need with the vegetables just as they are. Um, and then, you know, obviously you're going to come across some salt. But uh, you just it's just really important not to develop those sodium needs um, you know, uh, early on, you know, yeah. and I even got a question from an older adult, you know, they, um, I've had two, uh, I've had a golfer that apparently they make a sports drink for golfers now that, you know, has a bunch of different substances in, but also has a lot of sodium. There's a pickleball, uh, sports drink now, um, that has, you know, sugar and sodium and things like that. We get all that stuff from our food and it's been shown for athletic events that if you eat a high sodium diet, you'll actually have more trouble with salt than if you just eat a regular salt diet. So if we're going to do a marathon or an ultra, or we don't try to stock up on water or stock up on sodium, and we don't even stock up on calories because we're not camels. Just eating a really good, healthy diet um, allows you to get the nutrients and burn clean the, you know, the next day during the event. So, you know, just take it into account that you're not doing a disservice if you're not getting in those lines. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be high prep foods, you know, simple, simple foods um, kids, kids like, you know, again, you know, the Ezekiel bread, avocado toast with some, you know, almond butter with the, with the toast, mashed up beans. Um, he we likes a plate fear, of, and we don't of fruit. fear fruit. Yeah. We, well, yeah. Plate of different front of fruit. He's, I've seen him eat blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, mango, bananas, watermelon, 
Um, you know, and he did finger foods. Yeah, and, and we uh, did different veggies, and we were doing some purees. Rice, you know, different pasta, grains. Different from grains. So, you know, he does does well. I mean, the biggest things, I mean, yes, calcium is a, a big need for kids. Um, you know, they do require more fat than we do. So when you look at a whole food plant-based diet, no oil, salt, sugar for adults, you know, your breakdown macronutrient-wise can be anywhere from 70 to 80% carbohydrates and then 15 to 10% from fats and then again for proteins. For kids, they need a little bit more fat. They're growing. Their brains are growing and developing. Um, so they need about 25 to 35, excuse me, 25 to 30 percent of their calories from fat. So we do a little bit more in the way of healthy fats, maybe some oils here and there, but trying to do it mostly from whole foods. Um, and, and so they need that, but their volume just as adults is, if on a plant-based diet, is going to be bigger uh, because they need more calories. And if you're truly eating whole food, plant-based, not processed, um, it's not calorically dense, nutrient dense, absolutely. But you just need a little bit more of it to match their needs. Perfect. So... In just closing, you know, I, I, I want I, this. The, the reason for this podcast is to share our experience and share what we do in the practice and, um, you know, let people know that we take care of people like we want to be taken care of and look at and we look at the data and we look at the evidence and we change. You know, I was a traditional cardiologist for a lot of years. I prescribed antihypertensives, statins. Um, you know, a very a variety of different medications based on the illness. You have this, you get these three things. You have heart failure, you get these three things. You know, yes, watch your sodium, watch your fat intake. But since becoming uh, more involved in nutrition and plant-based, obviously, I've started to take a harder look at just just what do some of these medications actually do to affect mortality and morbidity? Do they decrease the incidence of stroke or heart disease or, or cancer? Do they cause other diseases? What are the other side effects? And, and again, there was a recent study and they pulled physicians and it's like um, basic questions. You know, what do you think that treating somebody with blood pressure medications for five years, what does that do to prevent cardiovascular events? Does it make you 100% bulletproof that you won't have a cardiovascular event if your blood pressure is well-controlled with medication? Does it help a little bit? Does it help a lot? The average doctor thought that it would help about 30%. We know that a lot of people don't take their medications as prescribed, so they, but the range was 10 to 70% improvement or a decrease in cardiovascular events. The reality of it is the absolute risk reduction over five years of being treated with blood pressure medication is zero to three percent. Now I'm going to put my 1,500 milligrams of plant-based whole food nitric oxide producing greens up against that, and I am certain I can do better than that. How about um, osteoporosis medications, Fosamax, uh, injectables, Prolia? Uh, what does that do for hip fracture over the five years? Uh, physicians pulled said it was probably decreased hip uh, fractures by about 40 percent. The range was 10 to 60 percent. The absolute risk reduction for treating somebody with medication for osteoporosis, 0.1 to 0.4%. How about statins therapy for cardiovascular events over five years? So if we give somebody statins, 
Do we make them heart attack proof? Do we drop, if we drop their cholesterol, whatever, do we, what do we do? Who do we treat? Do we treat everybody? Now we know kids have high cholesterol. We know young adults have high cholesterol. Should we put it in the water? Um, physicians pulled, 5% re risk reduction, thought about 20% averaged um, the actual absolute risk reduction, 03 to 2%. So, if these are cardiovascular disease and hip fractures and blood pressure, these are things that we treat as physicians all the time. We know, again, I, I spoke earlier, meniscus therapy, meniscus surgery, um, various surgeries that we do. What is the absolute risk reduction? And I would encourage you to ask your physician. And then I would ask you to see what you can do nutritionally. If you were to lower your body mass index, to a normal range, if you were to get the oils out of your diet and lower the sodium that you were uh, your intake to 1,500 milligrams, get the oils out of your diet and lower your cholesterol naturally, would that not be more protective and what would potentially be the side effect? Absolutely none. And if these numbers are so skewed and as physicians we are fooled by the pharmaceutical industry to think that we are saving people by prescribing all these medications. Does that not translate into what we are now currently doing with the pandemic? So I ask you to look at the literature, keep an open mind, because every time we do something to somebody, there are risks versus benefits. And to call out your neighbor or to call out somebody and say that everybody should have everything done is absolutely wrong. In certain instances, the risk may benefit uh, outweigh the benefits, but not certainly in everybody. And I think we have to be really, really skeptical and what are the alternatives? Um, I think if you look at your physician, I, you know, I, I look when people are online and they talk about things, if the physician is not healing themselves and not a picture of health and not doing a good job and not promoting, promoting nutrition and exercise, and then I really, um, I really wonder whether or not they're just following a said protocol dictated by the pharmaceutical industry that bring the Domino's pizza in each week. Uh, for us to prescribe medications or the speaking events or the whatever uh, ever dinners that, that are, are, that are done. So in closing, you know, there is so much you can do as an individual to improve your own health. Um, and it starts right in your own kitchen. It starts right in your own backyard in your own neighborhood with exercise. It doesn't need to involve a fancy gym membership or fancy equipment. It doesn't need to, uh, involve fancy foods simple, whole, wholesome foods. If you can grow something in your backyard a little bit, even your herbs, uh, you, you know where it's coming from. If you can eat organic and decrease your, your pesticide intake, you know it's great. Every time you eat out, you're, getting, you know, you, you're, you're giving up that control to someone. So it has been a pleasure and an eye-opener. Um, you know, I enjoyed every day of watching you grow up, Addie. And uh, certainly if I had to do some things over, I certainly would have changed a lot of things knowing what I know now as far as raising you. But I think that's part of it. If you know better, we can do better. And it's okay to question because that's how we learn. And and, and that is true. And, you know, I am uh, thankful for Caleb. He's a healthy little boy, and we're enjoying watching him grow up and you know, it was was a little frustrating tonight because, you know, he wasn't eating our plant food. But, you know, we also had to laugh because he's a normal little boy that some days are better than others. Exactly. And uh, so you just keep trying. Don't don't give in. 
uh, or give up, I should say, you know, try something different and um, different days, different different things. And if Take you, the wins. Take learn the, from the losses. Yeah. And, um, you know, as Jill Bolte-Taylor would say, you know, run a new circuit. It's just, um, you know... Uh, go to your go to your happy place in your other in your uh, right side of your brain and uh, you know enjoy enjoy the moment and don't uh, let your uh, your thinking brain get too too ahead of yourself sometimes so um, it's been a pleasure having you here visiting for my birthday week if you all would like to talk to us more about our practice please uh, go over to the website at drdelaney.com d-o-c-t-o-r-d-u-l-a-n-e-y.com you can get our cookbook on amazon you can get a consultation with myself or addy uh, by going over there and uh, seeing what we have to offer and we'd uh, certainly like to entertain any questions yeah we talk anything family nutrition sports nutrition preventative as reverse and reversal uh, of lifestyle disease so uh, hit us up with all your questions we'd love to help as many people as we can and get the word out there because again if we know better we can all do better yep so share this podcast with others Uh, we'd love to help you with your sports nutrition your mobility or anything like that so thanks for listening and i'll speak with you next week absolutely and happy birthday oh thank you podcast for three dogs and little barking eh? Mm-mm. Yeah. All right. Call it a day. Adios. <laughs>